on America Can We Talk. I talk about election integrity, border security, health care freedom, race relations, energy and tax policy, education policy, free speech and assembly, freedom of religion, and all other issues that touch on the God-given right of every American to life, liberty, and the pursuit of their version of happiness. Stay tuned. your tolerance but lecture me is there no end to your own hypocrisy your god is power you have no shame your only interest is political gain you hide your eyes and refuse to listen you play your game coming up next america can we talk with your host debbie georgiatos And hello and welcome to America Can We Talk. Thank you so very much for tuning in. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Today in our show, I want to try to run through a bunch of topics. So as my mother used to say, listen fast. But I want to talk today about uh, 9-11 and a way to help. We have an interview coming up very shortly with Texas Values President Jonathan Sines, who is joining us. Uh, and then we have, I want to talk about Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton and what the consent of the governed means. Trump's indictment and self-governance, and finally, if we get to it, uh, recognizing China's global governance agenda. Was at an event last night in Texas with a, a huge national security expert laying out for the crowd there what is China's global governance agenda. They actually think they're going to take over everything. If we don't get that today, we'll do it another time. But I'm going to start out about 9-11. So I didn't do a show yesterday on 9-11. That's actually been rare. It seems like I always have a show on 9-11. But with a new schedule, we're just doing two shows a week, Tuesday and Thursday. So I just want to take a brief moment and mention a couple of things about 9-11. First of all, I love that we stop and honor 9-11, that we actually think about, you know, what happened that day. We remember the people lost, as we do now on all sorts of holidays, recognizing our veterans. We have people who lost their lives in foreign wars. We recognize and honor people who lost their lives. And in the case of 9-11, just innocent American citizens is doing their jobs. Part of remembering 9-11 is remembering too that there were, it was a horrific attack on America. And it did cause many American citizens to put aside their differences and decide, you know, we come together as a country. And, and we want to defend ourselves. We want to tell the world, you can't do that to us. There was a relatively brief moment or short span of time of unity after 9-11, and then things seemed to fall back into the usual political divisions, whether by happenstance or not, or, or just whatever the reason was, they fell back into our usual divisions. But I think that at this time in American history, there's an equally compelling reason for Americans to really stop and think about what our country is, what we stand for, and what is happening to America. I recount regularly for you on this show what is coming out of the Biden administration in Washington, the absolute rolling destruction of all of the rights we understand ourselves to have from our Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, the Bill of Rights. We are watching a slow takedown of America in terms of abandoning the border, in terms of the the plan to have central bank digital currency to take away your financial freedom, to use climate change as an excuse to take away your freedom. 
And we need to get that same sense we had after 9-11 that you can't do this to us. We're going to have a country unified around our rights, rights guaranteed as beautifully uh, memorialized in the Declaration of Independence, rights from God, and I always add, simply because you were born. That's why we have these rights. They're recognized as God-given rights for everyone, and America chose as a country to make that our founding. So I'm glad we remember on 9-11 what happened that day, and we honor the heroes, the firefighters, police officers, people who ran to the emergency, tried to rescue people, did help people. Um, and I want to just tell you another way, and, and so I'm just, I'm grateful that we do that. We honor those people, and we also recognize how important it was when we saw our country under attack, we unified. We have to begin as American citizens to recognize that we are under a different threat in America today, but where the left is taking this country, where you have out of Washington, D.C., the just cascading of, of disrespect for, disdain for, the rights guaranteed to us, we have to gather together as patriots, as a nation, and say, you can't do that to us. One well, quick thing about 9-11, um, Ted Cruz had a great point. Now, Senator Ted Cruz from the great state of Texas had a great point on either his show or somebody else's show. He was making the point that, you know, in 9-11, we look back and we, you know, we, people traveled more freely, people arrived in America more freely. You know, the, the, after 9-11, we passed the Patriot Act, which was a, a kind of a reaction trying to protect American citizens more. We all you know, end up just succumbing to the idea that when we try to travel, even domestically, it's just a big hassle to have your luggage x-rayed and you have to walk through an x-ray machine. I mean, the freedom to travel changed after 9-11. And then the Patriot Act, uh, unfortunately, under the presidency of Obama and his VP, now President Biden, we had the expansion of the powers granted in the Patriot Act used against the American people, not the intention of the passage at the time of the passage, but used against the American people now. But gained what Ted Cruz said, he was making the point we have a completely open southern border. We have a border that anyone can cross. It's utterly unenforced. It's not just a slight you know, uh, problem with not quite enough personnel or not quite enough money. It's a chosen policy, an intentional policy out of the Biden administration to abandon the southern border. So all those people on 9-11 who had to sneak in the country and make their way in in some subterfuge, you wouldn't have to do that now as Ted Cruz is saying, just walk over the southern border. As a matter of fact, at the southern border, we've been talking a bit about the Chinese nationals who are crossing in record numbers. Chinese military-age men, fighting-age men, crossing America into our border, across the southern border, no consequence, and just by massive numbers. And I heard in this, uh, in this speech last night, national security speech, I heard this, and this is a true expert who was saying this is a conservative estimate. These are CCP-related, Communist Chinese, Chinese Communist Party-related Chinese military-aged men crossing into America already minimum of 10,000. We worry how did, you know, seven or 11 or whatever the number was of people who got into America and committed the atrocity in 9-11, how they get in, how can we batten down the hatches, how can we stop them? This is the Biden administration's chosen policy to let people in the border with no consequence, going wherever it is they go throughout the, the homeland of America, putting us in grave danger. 
So that, I thought was a great point that Ted Cruz made. They wouldn't even have to bother sneaking in now in terms of finding false identities. They just walked right in because Biden's inviting them. So one last thing, and I, I call this segment, you know, you can help. This is a great thing I want to share with you. First of all, there is an organization you've probably heard of. It's a charity called Tunnels to Towers. Tunnels to Towers. Their website is the letter T, the numeral 2, and the letter T again, T2T.org, Tunnels to Towers, wonderful charity. It helps people who were, you know, who lost their family members, their pro the fam provider for the family on 9-11. They also help veterans uh, who've been gravely injured in the service of this country. And um, they have, as of yesterday, I believe, on 9-11, they announced they are having, uh, they've gotten 22 new homes. They are donating from charity given to them 22 new homes dedicated to people who need our help, who served our country, were injured in the cause of serving our country, or who's you know lost their dad, lost their family member, the the um, and 9/11. This is just a, a beautiful, beautiful thing that they do. So I want to mention an organization. Um, I just think they're wonderful. I'm going to reach out to the spokesman I've come to be aware of, maybe have them on the show. But the last thing in closing up before we turn to our guest, Jonathan Sines, so I want to tell you a really cool thing you could do. And I just saw this this morning. I get no cut from this. This is not coming to me. So there's a book, a cookbook. It looks like this, and I'm going to hold it up so you all can see it. I'll read you the name. If you're just listening, you're not watching. Uh, if you're just listening, I will uh, read the name to you. But the cookbook is called The Great American Cookbook. 45 American Recipes. It's by a guy named Max Dobbs, D-O-B-B-S, Max Dobbs. He happens to be the adult son of a good friend of mine, but he did this patriotic book, which is a cookbook, again, the Great American Cookbook, 45 American Recipes, and the great thing about it is he's a young man who's a patriot, loves America. He donates all profits to this charity I just mentioned. He did the book for this purpose. T2T.org donates to the money to Tunnels to Towers. And so this is a great idea. Do your Christmas shopping early. It's a fun, he's a great chef. It's a fun cookbook. And, and for those of you who are maybe a little bit uh, challenged in the culinary field, it's not fancy. You're not going to see crazy ingredients you can't find or obscure processes you can never master. Simple, delicious, fun books. Make it a Christmas gift for your family. And I really want to commend the idea that this young man is donating his profits to uh, just help people, both veterans and people who suffered um, on 9-11 and, and whose family suffered as a result of what occurred on 9-11. So, that is my first five segment. Um, I'm turning to uh, this interview, and I will tell you that um, the gentleman joining us, I was trying to think when um, he was on, um, you know, actually I interviewed him when I used to do uh, a, another, um, I, I helped out, substitute hosted um, on another show, on another uh, Christian radio show. And um, in fact, I think he came in studio. But in any case, his name is Jonathan Sines. He is the president of Texas Values. And um, he's had quite a, just a, a, it's a great organization here in Texas. And I know this is a national show and wherever you are, you probably have organizations something like this where you are. These are just people coming together to try to do the active legal work, advocacy work, and just community connection work to stand up to preserve, and, and we, we say here, Texas values. They're really, they should be what American values. But Jonathan Sines, uh, he is a lawyer. He's the president of Texas Values. He's a nonprofit. 
Their term is dedicated to preserving and advancing a culture of family values in the state of Texas. And he's been working on these kinds of issues for two decades. Prior to that, he was with First Liberty Institute Offices, uh, which is another wonderful organization here in Texas. And the one reason I want to have him come on, because we have issues happening in Texas, and they're probably happening where you live. Wherever you are, you have these kind of issues happening. And people who are patriots, who step up and say, I'm going to stand up for traditional values, Texas values, family values. Um, th these are your people. I could read a lot more about his resume, but I want to bring him on and just have him tell you what his organization is all about, which is again called Texas Values. Let's welcome to the show, Jonathan Sines. Great to be with you, Debbie. Thanks for having me on. Nice to see you, sir. I'm just really grateful for all that you do. And um, I actually want to start, I, I, I've talked about your organization before, but since you're here, if you would just give a quick summary, what is Texas Values all about? Well, thank you, Debbie. And people can go to our website, txvalues.org, and find a tremendous amount of information about our organization, including an event we're having on September 15th and 16th. I know we'll talk about later in the show, but Texas Values is a nonprofit Christian-based law and policy organization. And we work on the issues of faith, family, and freedom in the arenas of the courts, the legislature, and the media. And you're right about this being a national show and it, that having value to people because there are organizations like ours in other states. We're a part of the Family Policy Council network. So 39 other states in our country have organizations that are like Texas Values that have a connection with focus on the family and family policy alliance. And we connect from time to time. And you know, it's interesting, Debbie, because we're here in Texas and a lot of times you know, we feel that responsibility and we think about Texas being a big state and having an impact um, outside of our state border and outside of our state lines. And that's true, though. I mean, Texas is the seventh or eighth largest economy in the world. So it's very often that laws we pass here in the state of Texas can lead to other states doing the same. And as a matter of fact, I see in my experience, as you mentioned, close to 20 years working in the field of law and policy, originally under Kelly Shackelford at First Liberty Institute, that sometimes groups like the ACLU and others, they find a little bit harder to try to change things or try to block things in the state of Texas because it gets a little bit more attention. You know, you've got huge cities. you got Houston, you've got Dallas, Fort Worth, San Antonio, some, some very large cities um, that are ranking the top 10 across the country. And so we do get a little bit more attention, but we take that uh, to heart and we try to do work at the highest level. And so we can help lead not only our state on the issues of faith, family, and freedom, but be an encouragement to people throughout our country to know that the values of faith, family, and freedom can succeed and be protected, not just in Texas, but across the uh, 50 states here in the United States of America. Love that. That was a great summation. I love it very much and grateful for you. And I'll tell you, the left has in America, the left seems to have many, many, many organizations. You mentioned ACLU, but there are all sorts of organizations that push the left agenda. And you know, I think for mostly for Christian Americans, for conservative Americans, you just want life to go on like it was supposed to be, like it was America was. And, you know, so we're not trying to change the place. We're trying to preserve it, to preserve freedom for the next generation, religious freedom, all sorts of other freedoms. It's really leftist kind of pushing that causes your organization to say, yeah, we got to stand up. This, this isn't the direction we want to go. 
Okay, I want to hit, um, you actually have an event coming up before I forget, uh, and I'm sorry we, we are not going to be able to join you, but you have a great event coming up, and I sent to my happy producer, Emilio, yeah, okay, um, I want to, it's your Texas Faith, Family, and Freedom Forum, September 15th and 16th, and say there you go, so it's on the screen now, uh, you can still get tickets, it's this coming week, September 15th and 16th, 2023, it's in Austin, Texas, and you can get tickets still for Texas Faith, Family, and Freedom Forum. A lot of F's in there. Texas Faith, Family, and Freedom Forum. And then I like alliteration, you can show it. Debbie. <laughs> yeah, I want to just show the people who are speaking. Look at this. I mean, these are these are all really deeply thoughtful people. Um, I haven't heard of all of them, but a lot of them. I see you have Riley Gaines coming, whom I just adore and appreciate and respect. Many serious thinkers. And so it's just a, it's a very um, high energy and, and just deeply thoughtful event. So with that, you can take that off the screen and come back. So if you would, Jonathan, tell us all about that event. Yeah, thanks, Debbie. Well, the Texas Faith, Family, and Freedom Forum is an annual event, and it's the largest event of its kind in the state of Texas. We want to educate, motivate, and activate people on the issues of faith, family, and freedom. And we hear people all the time say, you know, they care about these issues, but Jonathan, what can I do? You know, how can I make a difference? You know, what, what role can I play? So we're giving people an opportunity to find that, to find where they match up, you know, with their skill set or their time or where they are in their life. We're going to have young people there. We're going to have students there. As a matter of fact, uh, tickets for students and pastors are free, um, and we will run out of those pretty soon. Uh, so you want to go on the website and get those complimentary tickets for students and pastors. But we're going to have people of all ages, all walks of life, and from out um, across the state of Texas. The speakers that we have are not just from the state of Texas, though, because we know that the impact of our work is going to hap uh, happen in other parts of the country, and there are people in other parts of the country that can tell us about their experiences, what's going on in their state, what's going on in D.C. We've got a great speaker from Heritage Foundation, Roger Severino. You mentioned Riley Gaines is going to have a part of the event. Paula Scanlon, this is a uh, NCAA athlete who was on the team with Leah Thomas. This is the male swimmer that was swimming in the, the women's division. She was told to keep quiet while she was a teammate. Now she's talking about these issues. She's going to be there. Abby Johnson, all right, one of the most well-known pro-life uh, leaders who was a part of the abortion movement for many years, left that movement, became pro-life. Uh, pro and uh, former Trump ambassador for religious freedom, Sam Brownback, a whole host of different speakers, some state senators, state representatives, and other people. Chloe Cole, if you haven't heard her story, she is a teenager who was going through a gender transition and said, wait a minute. This isn't good for me. I, I don't want to. I don't want to continue to do this. Even though she was getting pressured to continue, she stopped. Unfortunately, that that. that procedure, those things have some irreversible damage on her body that she can't change, but she can still go around the country and help other people avoid that. We just passed a law on that, Debbie, Senate Bill 14, that protects kids from these dangerous gender transitions, puberty blockers, and mutilation of healthy body parts. That uh, law was challenged in court by the ACLU and others. And the Texas Supreme Court said, no, we're letting it go into effect. So huge victory there. And we'll talk about some of those things at the event. What are the new laws that just went into effect September 1st? What can you do about it, right? We've got some great one-pagers uh, one so people can understand. I want to have these things in my hands. I want to be able to go into my community and make a difference, but also have my rights protected. And so just wonderful opportunities um, and, and a lot of great speakers at the event. You can find out more at txvalues.org. I was going to tell you, when I went on your website this morning, I actually printed off a bunch of things. It's, again, txvalues.org, because 
you know, it, it, they have great summaries. You don't have to read a 20-page paper, just great summaries. Here's the issue. Here's what we're doing about it, which I really like. And, you know, back to the importance, I want to dive into two issues after this, but, but back to the importance of your organization, I do feel like when families, they, if they are confronting some very bizarre situation at school, whether it is the school they find out has been talking to their child about transitioning and the parents didn't know about it and, or, and don't like that and it's inconsistent with their Christian faith or, or their faith of any kind, they feel like it's just them against the school or them against the teacher. And to feel like there's an organization that is uh, educated, has lawyers involved, understands the law, and is an advocacy group is just a huge blessing to those families. I, just, just that issue alone, huge blessing to the families. I, I, really, I really commend you for well, that. It, no, I appreciate that, Debbie, and it reminds me of a, a, ver a verse from the Bible that has always been one of my favorite uh, from Proverbs eighteen seventeen. It says, he who presents his case first seems right until someone steps forth yeah. to challenge him. And that's what we do. We come alongside parents, organizations, individuals, because sometimes the school districts and these government officials, you know, really don't know the law. A lot of times they're just, you know, putting on an act or, you know, they're uh, taking for granted some of the rights that the students and the families have in these different in situations. And that, that's why we put together things. We've got a website for the safe women's sports law, right? This is a new law that protects college athletes, women from being forced to compete against men at the collegiate level. So we have a website dedicated to that issue, one pagers, all kinds of good information. And we sent a letter, Debbie, out to all 1,200 school districts in the state of Texas, telling them about what the new laws that went into effect September 1st in Texas. And many of these are similar laws we see in other countries, excuse me, in other states and in our country. And so that way they can't say, we didn't know about it. We weren't sure what to do. You could print that letter too, though, and take it to your school district. We want to empower people. We did that in Fort Worth. There was a school there. Their school board uh, had an issue in front of them regarding how to treat issues related to a, a girls' choir and a boys' choir. And these are very competitive choirs at the uh, Fort Worth Fine Arts Academy. And so they decided to have a policy that was very clear that you go by what the birth certificate says on these issues assigned at birth and to clear up any confusion about that issue. And they got some pushback. We went there, we supported them, we uh, offered testimony, and now the ACLU has pushed back, so we pushed back, okay? So we sent a letter to the Department of Education outlining why it's legal for the school district to continue to do that. But we're only going to know about these things if people bring them to us. And so if you get our email, you go to our website, let us know. We want to make sure that we can protect your rights. And a lot of times when we do show up, these things get resolved when they know that there are people that are serious professionals, there are lawyers that have your back. You know, I was going to dive into that uh, girls only and boys only choir issue because it's such an interesting case. Uh, but before I do on the subject of schools, I also think it's true. I mentioned it's kind of a theme I'm on yesterday, but leftism is inherently relentless and aggressive. It's just the nature of leftism in America today. So I think many schools, they might go along with the pressure from the left, whether it is to allow transgender discussions with kids and don't tell the parents, or whether it is to say you have to let boys sing in girls choir or vice versa. Many officials, I believe in schools, they go along with whatever it seems like is safest so they won't have to have controversy. If they're told this is what you have to do and there's no one on the side of the families and, and of just kind of American 
Christian values speaking back, it's easier, it's just easiest to concede to the left. So the idea of your organization showing up and saying, no, actually the law is this, the policy is this, the parents' rights. I, I mean, I think some schools, whatever they say to you, I'm gonna guess some of the administrators are actually relieved because they don't really want me pushing this crazy. Some of them are as, as you know, down the, the uh, path of transgenderism as uh, the far left. Some of them just need to hear a voice of reason and fact and law, and they're happy to hear it from you. But I do wanna talk about this case because I, as I mentioned to you earlier, or yesterday uh, via text, um, I learned about this case at a luncheon I was at yesterday where I was learning about a school that has really high quality girls, girls choir only and boys choir only. And when these days when people think there isn't a difference or you can transition at your whim, there was a, a push to say, basically you should get to join whatever your biology is, whatever your reality is, you should get to join the choir you want. So school had a great deal of aggression uh, toward the administration, toward the school, to push this agenda. To say, and, and one feature I wanted to get to was, it's not just that the school policy was was debating this issue. It's that students became aggressive toward the students who were trying to speak up and say, actually, this is a girls' choir, and I, I kind of like just being girls. That's why it's a girls' choir. I'm getting at the aggression of the left feeds its way even into students' minds when they feel comfortable being aggressive and asserting transgenderism as, as a real thing. It's astonishing the psychology that's taking place in the schools. I'm sure you've noticed this in some of your yep. work. Well, unfortunately, Debbie, we have noticed that. And what it can lead to is a hostile environment, not only for school administrators and teachers, but to your point, students. I mean, what's happening in the bathroom these days? We continue to hear reports where you have these situations play out in stalls and locker rooms where you don't have a parental authority on around. And you have these what we call shadow policies, right? The school district and, and some of their employees are aware that it's going on. Parents don't know what's going on where they're really doing nothing. They're letting, you know, whatever student wants to go into these uh, places that used to be private and you have kids that are being violated, taken advantage of, bullied, attacked. And so uh, they're sending the message that it's okay to do that or they have some type of you know, legal standing that makes it okay for them to enforce that and take matters into their own hands. And so that's why it's good to have a law in place and to have some clear standards. And that's what this school district said. We're not gonna allow for there to be confusion. We're not gonna have a situation where people are unsure. We're gonna be very clear about what the policy is and there's legal precedent for it anyway, you know, and so that's what it was strongly based on. And, you know, that's what the ACLU and other people are, are upset about is because you actually actually here have a school district and its board members that have done the right thing, that have have a policy that's based on not only science, but common sense. And you're going to see more of that. There are like a handful, if not more, school districts in Texas that are now moving in this direction, right? The pinion is sort of swinging back because people have had enough over the years of being lied to. Parents have been pushed out of the these conversations. And uh, there's just been a lot of dishonesty going on and distrust. And so parents are saying we've had enough of that. Some school boards are getting in front of it, like this one at the Fort, uh, Fort Worth Fine Arts School. And, and, and listen, there's good reason. There is a difference between men and women, between boys and girls. And it was interesting about the choir issue. There's even federal precedent where they talk about this years ago, the difference in vocal range yeah. that boys and girls can have and the, and the impact that can have when you're competing. And so this is all based 
on sound reasons. But to your point, if you don't have people step up and enforce this or have these policies, or if people don't show up at school board meetings when these things happen, it makes it a lot more difficult. But I want people to know they've got a friend in Texas Values. And if you go to your state, go to Family Policy Alliance website and click the, the United States map for your state. You're going to find Texas values in Texas. You're going to find organizations in different states, wherever you are across the country, because we've decided to network together to build that strength together, not just for an individual state, but all across the United States. I love that. Speaking of the power which you do in Texas and wanting Texas to be a leader, um, I, you know, I went to law school back east, and I remember this years ago. The uh, one of the professors talking about is some some decision out of California, and how you know, as California goes, it's actually with respect to federal court, but still, as California goes, so goes the nation. The Ninth Circuit's a leader; they set new standards. The other states finally catch up. I'm thinking, I certainly hope not. But in California right now, California lawmakers voted to remove kids from any parents who don't support severing their genitals. And that's the title of the article, but parents who won't support gender transition for children. The California law, and I believe it was passed by both um, houses of their, of their um, legislature, this is, where they, this is where they're trending in California. Not only are they not protecting children from gender transition surgeries and treatments, but they're calling parents who uh, in any way oppose this, the parents are the problem and the, school, the, the uh, state is saying you can remove kids from parents who don't support uh, gender transition. And I'm getting at the point, it really matters who the policymakers are. It matters whose voices are heard in the legislature. I mean, I'm sure there are conservatives in California saying, I mean, they're not all crazy out there. I mean, conservatives saying this is really bad. You shouldn't do this. But it takes an educated and a forceful, a persistent, strong voice like Texas Values to push back against these kind of things. And heaven help us if California is leading on this one. I'll let you respond. Well, and look, we have to take these things seriously, Debbie. You know, sometimes you read those headlines and you're like, oh, that's that's absurd. And, and there's this maybe this thought in, in your mind, if you will, that says, oh, you know, that's probably it's probably not really that bad. It is that bad. I mean, Gavin Newsom is out of control in this situation. And I lost track. It was actually the last time I checked, I think they ran out of U-Hauls in California to get to Texas because so many people are fleeing that state. And so they're going um, in the wrong direction for a variety of reasons. But obviously, he doesn't care. I mean, he's got the power. He's going to continue to lead that state in such a destructive and a dangerous direction. And so we need to be aware of that. We need to be involved in the court system over there to be challenging that. We need to be safeguarding the rest of our states so they don't go in that direction or we don't have people from our state that are attracted to go there in order to do that right it's it's one thing to protect the citizens of our own state and that is important but we also have a responsibility to make sure that we protect all citizens so they don't find themselves i mean in case in point debbie um, Gavin Newsom has been advertising in the state of Texas with billboards, trying to entice women to go to California and the government's going to pay to end the life of your unborn child to have an abortion. And so the California is certainly trying to attack Texas and make a difference. I do think, though, that that saying now is as Texas goes, so goes the nation, because on the life issue, the country continues to move in that direction of supporting life. Some of these policies, I think California is really the outlier, even though we got to push back against them. I think there are close to 20 states now that have a law, it's called Help Not Harm, where it protects kids from these gender transitions, mutilation, surgeries, and puberty blockers. And Debbie, these are on healthy body parts, 
okay? Removing healthy body parts from kids' bodies in the name of LGBT political ideology is not health care. It is not health care. Jonathan Steins, uh, first of all, I want to remind our listeners as we wrap up, um, you're the president of Texas Values. People can still buy tickets for your upcoming forum. And again, the website is txvalues.org. If you go to that website, you can find, there's an ad for it. You can buy tickets. You can see all the wonderful speakers they have. There you go. Uh, see all the wonderful speakers they have. And um, I'm so glad you're available. I know you're a very busy, you've got to be a busy guy because this event is coming up in just a few days. So thank yeah, you so much for taking time to join me today. It is coming up, Debbie, and just so people know across the country, if you can't make it, there is a live stream if you go to that website and you want to register for the live stream, because I think no matter where you are in our country, in Texas or in other states, you'll find value in this event. So, Debbie, Debbie, thank you for having me on, and I'm so appreciative of all the great work you're doing. Thank you, sir. Great to see you. And that, my very friend, friends, is Jonathan Sines, Texas Values. It was, it, that was, he's just, they're, they're doing great things. Okay, I'm going to try in the next half an hour to hit two plus maybe three stories. Before I do that, I want to take a moment to uh, tell you kind of several things uh, going on. One is uh, this show, America Can We Talk, was four days a week for a long time. Uh, I am moving it to two days a week, Tuesday and Thursday, at least for now, because as I mentioned in my show last week, I am running for Republican National Committee woman. Uh, that is a campaign that especially a state the size of Texas and the way that kind of campaign works, it involves a lot of time and energy. So I'm cutting the show back two days a week, but I will be writing more. And I want to encourage you to go to our website for the talk show is americacanwetalk.org, americacanwetalk.org. And the website for my campaign is Debbie, D-E-B-B-I-E-G, the letter G, and then four, the numeral four, R-N-C, Com. Debbie G for RNC.com. I'll be posting blog posts and updates for you and really substantive responses to many of the issues that are happening in the country. So I'm being more active on social media. If you watch this show on Facebook, if you're listening on Facebook, I want to urge you to go to the Facebook page for my RNC campaign. We just opened it up. I think it has like zero followers right now. So go to the website, Debbie G for RNC, excuse me, the Facebook page, Debbie G for RNC, and like that page. I'll be posting things just to start commenting, telling you about the race. Would love to have you like that Facebook page. Love to have you endorse my campaign. Again, you can go to the campaign website, debbieg4rnc.com. I'll cross the top. It says endorse. You can fill out and endorse my campaign for RNC committee woman. You can also at the top click on the word endorsements and read the already amazing and wonderful endorsements I have received for this race. I would love to have you do that. I also want to mention uh, that this show is carried by Brighteon TV. It's Brighteon is B-R-I-G-H-T-E-O-N.tv. Brighteon TV carries this show and I want to thank them because they actually go out of their way to give an audience to give a way for conservative voices to be heard in this country. They have many shows. You can watch all my old shows there. You can watch it live as it's on right here. You can watch it again. It's brighteon.tv. Very, very grateful for them. Very grateful for them. Um, also at our website, my talk show website, americacanwetalk.org, uh, you can sign up for the newsletter. We have a once a week newsletter. I took a hiatus over the summer. We had a lot of travel and uh, speaking, just a lot of stuff we had to do over the summer, but I'm back on track. There's a weekly newsletter. So if you go to americacanwetalk.org 
hit that subscribe button. It's a free newsletter once a week, comes via email. And you can also, at that website, americanwetalk.org, you can see past shows, past interviews, pretty much everything you've ever done is right there on that website. So as I, I had a little spiel today about um, talking about this run for RNC, and you know, it's a great thing to keep in mind when people say, well, you know, what do you stand for? I mean, I, I'll answer any questions people have, but I've been telling you for 10 years on my, when the show was on Salem Radio, or almost 10 years, Salem Radio, and here, what I think about the issues and what I care about, which is preserving America. That's what I care about, preserving America. Uh, and is the entire purpose of my views on any issue. So I'm gonna turn on and talk what's happening in the gray state of Texas involving our attorney general. I have a few little updates. And so if you haven't been paying attention to this, and again, this is a mega national story, even though it involves the state of Texas, it involves a Texas attorney general, um, it is a, is a phenomenon being carried out throughout this country, and it goes really to the heart and soul of the idea of self-governance, of we the people, uh, the authority that we give the government is we choose our elected leaders and they govern with the consent of the governed. That's a really important founding document language that they, they are there with the consent of the governed. We the people are the sovereign. So very quickly in the state of Texas, the attorney general who has been elected by voters into a variety of positions for 20 years, uh, starting with state rep, state senator and attorney general, and he was reelected for the third time to attorney general in 2022. And at the very, very end of the legislative session, so in Texas, we only have, we meet every other year that we, the legislature meets every other year for six months only. They don't want making a bunch of, they, if they were in full time all the time, they'd probably pass too many laws. So we have every other year we have a session for six months. At the very end of the session, when no one's paying attention, no one knows this is happening, totally off the radar, the Texas State House, governed by Republicans, voted to impeach the Attorney General. Bear in mind, everyone in the Texas, the higher levels of government is Republican. The governor, lieutenant governor, the attorney general, the just, you know, the vast majority of the House and the Senate. We have Republican majorities. This is the choice of the people of Texas. We have Republican majorities. So Attorney General Ken Paxton was impeached. And that means it's the same way in Washington when the lunatic Democrats impeach Donald Trump for absolutely doing nothing wrong at all. And then it moves from the House, which does the impeachment, to the Senate, which decides what's the sentence. They, they hold a trial, they decide guilt or innocence, they decide the sentence. It's not like a criminal trial, meaning they can't sentence you to prison, but they can sentence you, meaning you'll know, remove you from office, make a reference to the state bar to remove you. They can do those kind of things. So the Paxton impeachment has been such national news that uh, Steve Bannon did a segment, did several segments on it. Many, uh, Glenn Beck, I think, did a, did a segment on it. I want to talk to you about it as, as a Texan and also tell you what's happening right now because it goes to very deep issues about what we mean by self-governance, what we mean by the idea of we, that the consent of the governed is, need, governed is needed for our republic to work. So in Texas, Attorney General Paxson was impeached, uh, and, and, and I know I've been over this, so I won't belabor. Oh, in fact, wait, wait, wait. So I will tell you, on Thursday of this week, so today's a Tuesday show, on the Thursday show this week, we have a guest in studio, Michael Quinn Sullivan, and he is the producer, the voice, the, the, he's the presenter of this great and very, very short video, a documentary video called The Texas Heist. 
And the summary of what he presents is he points out how the Democrats, who never win the majority in recent elections in Texas, the Democrats still run the Texas House. He explains how that happens and who are the Republican culprits who allow this to continue. So we really don't have the Republican representation that we plan to have, we voted to have uh, in the Texas House. But you'll hear more about that on Thursday with the Texas heist. But back what's happening to Ken Paxton. So they had the they had the impeachment is now over the Texas Senate. They've been streaming the whole Texas Senate trial live. I'm just gonna make a couple of observations about what what is being said and what is so troublesome about it. So to start with, part of what happened was as Attorney General, a small cadre of people who were lawyers in the Attorney General's office uh, didn't like some of the decisions that Attorney General Ken Paxton made. They went to him and said, you know, we don't think you should do this, we don't like this, whatever, they, they were complaining about things. And um, they did not get their way. I mean, Ken Paxton, who actually is the elected one, he's the only one in office elected by the people, and he did not agree with what they wanted him to do. So this group of lawyers quit, and they went to the FBI. They went to a Texas uh, state agency, I believe, first to make a complaint, an ethics complaint, went to the FBI to say, you know, we really think Ken Paxton shouldn't be doing this, this is wrong, blah, blah. Well, as it comes out during the course of this Senate trial with actual lawyers, by the way, the House process, leave everything else out about it, the House process was a sham. The House members didn't even do the investigation themselves. They didn't cross-examine. They didn't put witnesses under oath. They just let them blather. They took, an, they took a summary by the investigating committee, which was not members of the House, and they went ahead and impeached based on what that committee said. So now all of this is coming out in the Senate trial. They're saying, well, what was the process? What was the reason? Who said this? Among the, the highlights I want to mention, because it goes to the concept of self-governance, there were people who were among the lawyers who worked in the attorney general's office who basically their testimony sounded like what they're saying was, well, you know, um, we told him he shouldn't be doing that. We didn't think that was the right call. We didn't, we didn't think he should be doing that. And so in part what they're talking about is that Ken Paxton's decisions with respect to an FBI investigation of a Texas citizen. And whatever reason Paxton had, you can attribute bad motives or good motives. The fact is, this is prosecutorial discretion. That's what prosecutors have since time began, at least in America. Prosecutors can look at a case and say, I don't think this is worth prosecuting for whatever factors they have. Other ones I can say it is worth prosecuting. Well, investigate, but I'm not gonna prosecute. Prosecutorial discretion is vital. You don't want a prosecutor, you know, always going after every minute jaywalking, and you don't want a prosecutor picking on one group of citizens but not others. So he's got prosecutorial discretion, and he did he viewed his conduct interaction with the FBI as as his his way he wanted to interact with them or their demands. He wasn't super excited about cooperating with the FBI. And one of the comments by people who these lawyers in their testimony was kind of, I mean, I'm paraphrasing because I don't have a language right in front of me, paraphrasing, was kind of like, well, you know, why wouldn't you cooperate with the FBI? Why wouldn't you cooperate with them? I mean, everybody knows, you know, of course you cooperate. Well, let me tell you, anyone who's paid for attention for 30 seconds to what the FBI and how they treated the January 6th defendants, Please spare me if you think the right answer in America today is to simply assume the good faith of the FBI. 
most Americans are very, very alarmed about the FBI's conduct in a whole host of cases. Can't figure out a reason in the world to investigate most of the Antifa protesters, most of the Black Lives protesters, but they can hunt down citizens who did nothing other than walk in the Capitol and walk out, break their door down in the middle of the night, use, literally break their door down to arrest them for walking in the Capitol. So people, yeah, people have a very, very understandably and justifiably jaded view of the FBI. The idea that Ken Paxson might have decided in his prosecutorial discretion, I, I don't think I'm going to get wound up about this, or I think I'm not going to cooperate with the FBI because I don't like the way they're acting. There were also um, a few little highlights um, about some of the testimony. Uh, what, one thing has come out is that these lawyers who left the attorney general's office and went to the FBI, so they're being asked, well, what was the evidence you had? And the answer is astonishingly, when they're forced to answer, is nothing, nothing. We didn't have evidence. We just, we didn't like his decisions. We didn't like X, Y, Z. Whatever it was they didn't like, they didn't go with evidence of anything. So they get the whole state stirred up. They, they go to the FBI who's, you know, with, with, well, we're upset and we don't like certain things. Um, and <laughs> I mean, the analogies to the kind of thing that happened in a really, really dangerous republic where the government has turned against the people and the people in government think it's not their job to do their job. It's their job to oversee the decision the voters made to pick this guy for attorney general who they you know, work for and decide they disagree with. There's an attitude of, and it, people were making the analogy, the analogy that Alex Vindman guy who was involved back in the Trump era, um, where he was basically complaining about his superiors because they wouldn't do what I said they should do. They wouldn't respond. They wouldn't go along with my view of what should happen. I mean, instead of, if you don't like the decisions by the elected attorney general, you have lots of choices. Quit. Quit. Go work somewhere else. You can make your complaint, tell them what you think, what your, whatever your issue is. And, the, and if the attorney general says, thank you very much, and goes on, then you can decide if you don't like it, you can quit. But there's this kind of idea that Paxton wouldn't march to their drum. And honestly, it was a... Um, the testimony, people, I have not been watching nonstop. Some of my friends are watching this testimony nonstop. I don't really, I can't really do that right now. Um, but the, the testimony was, is more of the nature of, you know, broad suspicion, encouraging each other, well, yeah, we don't like, we don't like this, making a complaint to the FBI. So we say, um, you know, for lawyers who are supposed to understand the difference between personal opinion uh, as to whether something's permissible versus is there a law being broken here? Is there real wrongdoing? It just seems like they decided, you know, we're going to stir up trouble and let somebody else um, work it out. Um, they had a, um, I mean, there are a whole bunch of things I could uh, run through in their testimony. I linked this article. I would encourage you to read if you want to know more about this. There's an article that's linked to our website at americachemitalk.org on the homepage under shows, drop down list of links. You can read the links, and one of them is this article from the Federalist, which is basically that the charges against Ken Paxson, to use a famous statement, fa famous slogan in Texas, are all hat, no cattle. Like people who strut around and pretend they're ranchers, they have a really big cowboy hat, 
but they don't really, they don't have cattle. They don't have any cattle. So they use the expression, all hat, no cattle. Uh, that's what this person is characterizing the entire, uh, what's come out now as you look into these attorneys' um, attitudes. Um, and then, in fact, there was one attorney who testified essentially I think it's very dangerous. Uh, he said, there's no evidence of criminal wrongdoing, no legal basis to, con so I mean, he's just, he's just deciding, I, I was upset and he told, he told Paxson, you shouldn't be doing this. And the larger point I wanted to make about this and the consent of the governed is, the reason Ken Paxton uh, is popular with voters is because he will stand up on the conservative issues that we care about. He will stand up about the fact that Texas doesn't have a secure border. He will take legal action to challenge the election fraud, which it was evident to many people in the 2020 election. He'll challenge election fraud. He'll challenge border policy. He'll challenge whether or not he can bring election fraud cases. He fights on behalf of the issues that people in Texas care about over and over and over and over. He always fights on behalf of the people of Texas. And this is why, this is why he's so beloved. And I'm getting at the consent of the governed idea. You know, you can decide in Texas as a voter, you may not like certain things in Ken Paxton's personal life. I mean, I don't approve of, of everything in anyone's life, but the voters actually have the judgment, the right to weigh things that have occurred, weigh things that are in the media, things being brought out, by the way, the, pri the primary challengers to Ken Paxton, you know, went crazy trying to bring out every single solitary thing that they could. They tried, they aired all the linen, all the complaints they wanted to make. At the end of the day, the people in Texas liked what Ken Paxton was doing because he stands up for the issues we care about. And that is really pretty much how the whole thing, how voters decided. There's also just this tension in America, and this is why it has broader implications, tension in America between the grassroots, or even if you want to call them that, the Republican voting base, the large Republican voting base that feels like you can never get the Republican majority to listen, to take action, to stand up, to fight back. Republicans have lamented for decades that when Democrats get power, they bulldoze down everything to get right to what they want. They impose their will of the majority of Democrats on the rest of us, even they know we don't like it. Democrats move with lightning speed the moment they get power to seize as much power, to congregate power within their own hands. And when Republicans have power, we don't do that. We hold back. We claim maybe we're being statesmen or something else. But the reason that Ken Paxton was so popular at, in all the way through, the reason he easily beat all of the more establishment candidates is because he's a fighter. Because Ken Paxton brought out things people want. And that is the larger, larger backdrop in this, in this um, issue that we're now facing in Texas. You had establishment people running against Ken Paxton. Establishment people tried to complain about Ken's conduct or whatever issues they had. And the Texas voters, they're, they're paying attention, they understand, and they're saying, but we still like him because he fights. And we don't like establishment people because they don't fight. That, was pre that pretty much summarizes how the voters came down. And so you have this playing out. And now, you know, we've had several prominent Texans weighing in to say, well, you know, let the trial process play out. Everyone be quiet. You know, keep your powder dry. Don't complain. 
But the people who wanted Ken Paxton to be attorney general, the people who want him to stay in office, who don't want the Republicans in the legislature voting to remove him, they don't want the senators to remove him, they don't want the House members to impeach him to start with, yeah, they're putting on pressure. They're saying, we are the governed, and we gave our consent to this. We're, we agreed that this is who we want. And you, Republicans, if you're voting to take this guy out, all for conduct, by the way, the voters knew about. None of this is, occurred after Ken Paxton was in office, after his most recent election. It all occurred prior to that election. Texas state law, straight out on point, says you can't impeach someone for conduct that occurred prior to the most recent election. And that's exactly what they did in the House. It seems it should be dispositive in the Senate. You can't impeach someone because for things that every that the voters knew about that, that happened before the last election. This is exactly the issue. And it's not just a picayune little Texas, you know, trip you up with the regulation law. It is, the, it is a law that cements, that demonstrates what self-governance means, what consent of the governed means. It means we get to decide based on all the information we have, we decided, and the impeachment process was a slap across the face to the voters of Texas, and they don't like it. Um, other people rang in with uh, trying to say, well, he's not really such a swell guy. He did do some things that are bad. Please understand, I am not defending everything Ken Paxton ever did. Not. I mean, I, I can tell you, I, I know some things I don't agree with, that I don't think should have happened. I don't like it. But I voted for Ken Paxton because you get down to when you're in the, you know, you're, you're in the, um, you're going to have a Democrat or you're going to have Ken Paxton. That's the choice. It's one or the other. And the voters in Texas said, we'll take him every time, hands down. Okay, I want to hit, because I'm getting at the point, this is, this is the, and this is the mass patriot movement in this country standing up, a massive patriot movement standing up, trying to make the establishment listen, trying to make the uniparty listen, trying to make the cabal of power in Austin and in Washington to listen to the people who are the sovereign. That's why this is such a, so many people are deeply upset with what's occurring. So I'm gonna just quickly jump into, um, I, I mentioned having Trump, Trump indictments and, and self-governance. It's the same kind of phenomenon with the Trump, uh, I mean, different elements, of course, but the same kind of thing the American voters, this broad patriot movement in this country is seeing in the Ken Paxton impeachment and now in what's going on with Trump. In fact, at lunch today, I, I, um, I had a conversation with someone who's deeply, deeply, deeply emerged, uh, immersed in all of this um, election litigation. And this person was telling me how that in, uh, in the, tr the case of Trump and in Georgia, you know, you have these people, this litigation against Trump over trying to, you know, steal the election, uh, all that litigation. You have people in the system, even Republicans, who are taking the side of those who are ready to pile on, ready to pile on Trump, ready to take him down. So what you have, what, what Donald Trump is right now in America, you have the left who, in my view, stole the election in 2020. I think the evidence is overwhelming. It's almost, it's just indisputable. The election was stolen in 2020. So the left is in power. They are doing what only third world dictators do, which is unleashing the power of the state against your political enemy. That is what the Biden administration is doing, unleashing the power of the state against your 
obviously most prominent political enemy. You have the people in, in the, whether it's the DOJ precisely, or it's a state-based charge, which is the case in Georgia, it is still that mindset that says, we use the law to take down our enemies. That is what's happening in the Georgia case and all the litigation pending against Donald Trump. And all the litigation does is make him more popular, more likely to easily win the primary and the general if we could have a fair election, which is a huge question. But the, the idea that the, the ruling class cabal, the uniparty, or you want to call it the, the Democrats who have been taken over by Marxists and they're taking down this country right before our very eyes, and then you have uniparty people who go along just to hold on to their power, and then you have the people saying, but we said we wanted Trump in 2020, and we don't want you going after him. We want him to lead because we believe he's the strongest leader we can see on the, on the landscape to win in, in 2024, and, to, and not only win, but to push back against what the left is doing in this country. So you have this massive patriot movement bumping up against this, the, the left, which is out of control, on top of which are, are joined by some in the uniparty who will go along with taking Trump out because Trump's presence in Washington makes many moderate people in Congress look like they're not very strong, they're not leaders, they're not standing up. I mean, Trump's presence will do a great deal in Washington and when, he's back, when and if he's back in the White House. So anyway, um, I also, there's a great article I posted on our website, americacommunitytalk.org. Um, it's about, it's a little bit, as Cleta Mitchell, um, uh, who's a was a, a lawyer for Trump in the Georgia litigation, and she's just describing the idiocy of the time she went to testify in uh, Fulton County before this, which now there's been the indictment of Trump and many, many other people. She's describing, and these people, honestly, you kind of wonder if some of them can read. I mean, they look at something she writes, which says you know precisely what it says, and she says what it says, and they say, oh, well, th this means that you tried to uh, steal the election. I mean, they just, th th there isn't the, the legal capacity in some of the people involved in this process in Georgia to like, discern facts, to understand facts. You gotta read the article. I'm gonna run out of time here. But I do wanna say, um, at closing before I go to my Why It Matters to You. Um, so last night, I, we were at a wonderful uh, meeting with just a brilliant guy uh, who's a national security expert uh, who gave a speech, and he was talking about this goal toward global global governance. And I mean, it was too many pieces. I'll have to come back to it next week. Too many pieces to fit in today's show. But he's talking about the connection between the World Health Organization and their efforts to have America capitulate. It's not just pandemic policy. This meeting, by the way, is coming up on September 20th. September 20th is this meeting at the World Health Organization, WHO. So this is the Recognizing China's Global Governance Agenda segment of the show. And this is people who are uh, encouraging you to pay attention to it. You can actually go and sign your, sign on something to show your opposition. You can go to sovereigntycoalition.org, sovereigntycoalition.org. The goal of this WHO activism is not just so the World Health Organization can have power to decide when we have a pandemic and when we don't. That's not the entire goal. That's a huge piece of it. But the way the language is written and what America is about to sign off on on September 20th is anything you know, it's not just if there's another uh, virus. It's anything, virus or other ways, attack could, be, could endanger humans, animals, or plants. 
think climate change, understand that the United States is down, down the road, heading down the road to capitulate to the World Health Organization is going to be the one that could, for example, claim there is an emergency pending on, I don't know, you know, some little mussel in a river someplace or some plant due to climate change. And we have said, if you decide there's an emergency, you World Health Organization, you know, uh, you just tell us what to do. So you, and even if it's a risk to a plant, this is the degree to which the left running this country is willing to abandon American sovereignty. So again, go to sovereigntycoalition.org. I'll do more on this, but there's a massive movement of coordinated elements that are working very hard to just bring pressure on America to cause us to abandon our sovereignty, to let those who would rule the world rule us through its World Health Organization, World Economic Forum, United Nations players, many people on the left in this country, they're all on board for this. And so this speech last night was kind of one of the, you know, canary in a coal mine, wake up, do you understand what the left is doing to this country as we, you know, go through our days and go through our lives and work hard and take care of our family and all the things we do. We really are, we are watching a, an absolute takedown of American sovereignty at the hands of the Biden administration. It's one of the reasons I'm running for RNC, because I think the RNC needs to have a much more bold voice. Well, we're out of time as we always are, so I close this show every day by telling you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So we started our show talking about 9-11 and a way to help. 9-11 always deserves remembrance of actual perpetrators, victims, motives, harms, heroic first responders. Among the most worthy of 9-11 charities is Tunnels to Towers, T2T.org. Still delivering support, including new homes to those widowed or orphaned or otherwise devastated by the attacks or by other military um, activity. Max Dobbs, old school American cookbook. Proceeds go to T2T.org. Order at chefmaxdobbs at gmail.com. I'm telling you, I'm going to give it away for Christmas. It's such a great thing. It's just fun and simple recipes even I can follow. Senator Ted Cruz has noted that the next 9-11 plotter can simply walk in the U.S. across our southern border. America still has more to learn from 9-11. And Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton and consent of the governed more and more evidence of Paxton trial shows there's a ruling class effort to perpetuate the club and overrule the voters. Wayward Paxton staffers are culpably naive. Paxton should never question the FBI. That was a message that came from his, among his staffers. Are you kidding me? Prosecutorial discretion cannot go against staff recommendations. That seems what they're saying. Texas voters like what Ken Paxton has done as attorney general, and they reelected him. All matters raised by the impeachment were essentially raised by primary, Paxton's primary challengers and by his general election opponent, and the voters made their decision. This is the essence of government by the consent of the governed. Decisions by the governed may prove wise or unwise, but they're not to be overturned after an election by elites who think they know better. That is not the design of the Constitutional Republic, and Texas state law explicitly codifies this principle. On Trump's indictment and self-government, Fulton County GA grand jury wanted to indict many others besides Trump, 
premise, it's a crime to dispute an election result, and this is the dangerous place we are. America is still being manipulated and mesmerized to accept the premise of 2020 as a legitimate election, evidence of rigged machines delivering rigged results, Mesa County, Colorado, cheating methods involving mail-in ballots, 2,000 mules, government-imposed censorship and deceit, 51 intelligence officials, in quotes, and Hunter's laptop was likely Russian disinformation, is now overwhelming and is not refutable. It is now fundamentally ignorant or dishonest to claim 2020 was a safe and secure election. Trump indictments are transparently malicious, intended to take away America's right to elect their president and to silence us from daring to challenge any future elections. Recognizing China's global governance agenda, CCP is maneuvering with UN and the World Health Organization and other organizations, undermining national sovereignty of all nations, including the United States of America, granting WHO authority over global pandemic response, moving toward WHO international authority over all threats to humans, animals, and plants. I mean, how could this even be serious? Feckless, spineless U.S. Senate, especially Republicans, do not insist on treating these agreements as treaties that under the Constitution would require a two-thirds vote of the Senate to approve. There are not two-thirds of the senators who would approve these agreements because they know the American people do not want them approved, but they ignore the will of the people and the Constitution. The RNC ought to stand up forcefully for American sovereignty. That's why I'm running for RNC committee woman for the great state of Texas. Please visit Debbie G for rnc.com. That, my very fine friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Please tune in Thursday, our live show Thursday, live studio audience of Michael Quinn Sullivan. Learn all about his documentary, The Texas Heist. Thank you for listening to America Can We Talk. I appreciate you tuning in. I appreciate everything, your support of this show and of my RNC race. I appreciate you. Thank you for listening to America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. And I will talk to you next time. Can you hear us now? America Can We Talk? Truth about America. Can you hear